Isaiah chapter two. The title this morning is The Day of the Lord. We got through chapter one on Wednesday night in chapter two. And all of chapter one is just the Lord's complete disgust with the hypocrisy that existed during this time in in, um, Israel's history. At men's prayer yesterday, we're going through the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel has no good news whatsoever. He just said, judgment is imminent, it's coming. He says, I don't want to hear your prayers, I don't want anything. And my point with all of this is when you study the prophets, and again, there's the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major ones, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, are only major because they're longer. Uh, The shorter ones are called the minor prophets only because they're a shorter book. Um, Both are... Uh, equally, equally important. But my point is, when, you, when we study the, the prophets, a lot of them, there is promise, there is hope. But um, when Jesus commented about the prophets to the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23, where he calls them blind guides, brood of vipers, snakes, how can you escape the damnation of hell? And then he goes on to say, which one of the prophets that I sent you didn't you kill? And we went to last Wednesday to the book of um, Hebrews where it talks about these men of faith and, and the faith that they had and how they died and how they were persecuted. And then it says there was even one that was sawn in two. And we believe that, tradition have it, that that would be Isaiah. So about what we're studying this morning um, it is um, the worst period of time, Jesus said, that is ever going to be on this planet, is right around the corner. But before we get into the heavy stuff, one of the things you want to grab onto as we make our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse to the Bible is you can have um, great joy and hope in a couple verses and then dive right into the worst period of time. Case in point, Isaiah chapter 2. The first four verses are about what we're praying for, the Lord's kingdom to come, and the glory that will be there during that time. So before we get into the heavy stuff, um, I'm going to put something on the screen in just a second. I want to read um, the first four verses. Um, The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass, when? In the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations will flow to it. Many people will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. and He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and rebuke many peoples. And this is what they have hanging on the front of the UN, completely um, out of place. It doesn't belong in front of the UN. It only belongs in the millennium where it says, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and I love this verse, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now, having read that, in the very same chapter where Lane started, it begins in verse 10. The Bible talks about the time when men's hearts are going to fail them for fear as they see the things that are coming upon the earth. I mean, guys will be falling over because of heart attacks. And uh, so in verse 10, it's actually an allusion to that event when the Lord uh, comes for the day of the Lord. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of men shall be humbled. The haughtiness of man will be brought down. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And here's one of the places of the many names for this event But in verse 12, it's called, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come. Everything proud upon it, everything lifted up, will be brought low. And then it gets down and describes the loftiness of man and 
Um, nothing is going to be left undone. Verse 19, they shall go unto the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth. From the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty, when he arises to shake the earth mightily. In that day man will cast away his idols of silver and idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship, to the moles and the bats. And they will go into the cliffs of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. He is going to do this. Now, this week... And I'll have it put on screen at this time. The New York Daily News mock those who invoke God instead of gun control. Some of you maybe have seen this. And it shows Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham. uh, um, Who else is on here? Paul Ryan is on here. And they're basically asking the Lord to comfort the the victims of uh, the 14 that were killed in San Bernardino. And this mockery here, God isn't fixing this. Well, that's where I want to begin this morning. And from a biblical perspective, you know, in in my generation growing up, the the time put on there, God is dead. That was the big news back then. Well, this is sort of a repeat. It's sort of coming full circle. God isn't fixing this. Well, let me tell you something. He will, and he's going to. And right now, what we're reading here this morning is there's a glorious kingdom that's coming. So I don't want this message. It's going to be a heavy message. I can't dodge it. Uh, we're going to show how, many, how close things actually are right now uh, for these events to be unfold. An article by Mark Ward this week called Ex- Excal- Escalation. And he has a paragraph that I'll read here. World-changing events lay before us in a potential war unlike any seen since World War II. Uh, Syria is becoming increasingly volatile and unpredictable. There is bloodshed ahead in the Middle East. World events are now moving at a fast pace. Bible prophecy is literally jumping out of Scripture and being fulfilled before our very eyes. We know from prophecy that is eons old, that this region is destined for war at the time of the end. We also know through Bible prophecy who the main um, protagonists are. The protagonists are in the Middle East right now, or the game players, I'll say, and the alliance necessary to bring about this conflagration are forming as we speak. Bible prophecy also clearly details the ultimate future of the Russian-Iranian axis in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, They will come against God's holy people. And when they do make their move, which they surely shall at the right time, they will meet their complete doom on the mountains of Israel. The first couple verses, Ezekiel 39, actually tells how many are going to escape from the battle in 38? It says five, six. He says one sixth of them is going to hightail it and make it back home. Do the math. That means five sixths of this, what we see taking place with Russia and Iran in Syria right now, as Mark Ward so, I think, eloquently laid it out. We're, we're watching this happen. He closes it by saying events are now moving at. at um, Some pace, the stage is almost set. I disagree with him there. I say the stage is set. (laughs) And uh, what's going to trip the trigger for for all this to unfold? We're we're watching it. Yet we have not heard churches across our country. They say we don't want to deal with the book of Revelation or Bible prophecy because there's too much symbolism. And it's just too darn difficult to understand. Well, both mainline Protestantism, mainline Roman Catholicism do not take a literal view of the book of Revelation. They allegorize it or they symbolize it. And they say it's really a battle between light and darkness. Well, why do they say that? Well, the answer is because if they would just teach through the Bible, 
uh, the book of Revelation would be crystal clear. It would be easily understood that from chapter 6 through chapter 18, God deals with Israel for a seven-year period of time. And Isaiah 2, verse 12, calls it the day of the Lord. Now, I want you to know there's at least 12, 13 different titles that we're going to go through this morning. That's why we have so many cross-references. It's it's not going to be as bad as it looks up there. We'll go through these quickly. I just want you to see, gang, how much the Bible talks about this event. So that by the time you get to the book of Revelation, you go, yeah, all the Old Testament been telling us about it through all the prophets. It's all there. But all you have to do is read your Bible and teach your Bible, and then you won't have any problem with the book of Revelation. Good time for an amen? Amen. So let's, here's, it's called the day of the Lord in Isaiah 2. Isaiah 38 is called the day of God's vengeance. Jeremiah 30, the time of Jacob's trouble. Now this is important because it clearly makes this period of time, along with Daniel, a Jewish period of time, not a Gentile. It's a Jewish period of time, the time of Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble. Uh, Daniel 12, the time of the end. Revelation 6, the great day of his wrath, the hour of his judgment, the end of this world, Matthew 13, the indignation, the overspreading of abomination, the time of trouble such as never was. Jesus refers to it that way. We will look this morning at this from three different perspectives. Number one, uh, we will look at some of the Old Testament references to this period of time. And then two, we're going to actually look and see what did Jesus himself have to say about the day of the Lord. And then finally, number three, how we, the church, are to prepare for it. Paul fully and clearly, both in, Thessal- in the church of Thessalonica, in Titus, explains what it is and what we're to do about it concerning the day of the Lord. So we're going to have prophets talking about it, we're going to have Jesus talking about it, and we'll have the Apostle Paul giving instruction to the church. So let's dive in. We're in chapter 2. Just flip over to uh, chapter 13 for our first cross-reference this morning. And again, my point in the Old Testament is simple. I just want to take you through the scriptures that talk about this future event. Each one of them gives us a little bit more insight, a little bit better understanding. Here in Isaiah 13, picking it up in verse 6, it says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. So we know the source. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. They will be afraid. Pain and sorrow will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel and both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. And from the stars and heaven and their constellations, they will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil. Takes me back to this article, um, God isn't fixing it. God's going to deal with it, and then he's going to fix it. And the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make mortal man more rare than fine gold. Now I want you to remember that. Because yesterday I looked up the earth's population and what's going to happen in the first part of it. And here it tells us that men at the end of this period of time is going to be more rare than fine gold. A man more than a, a golden wedge of uh, orfer. Therefore, I will shake the heavens, and the earth will move out of her place. We're, we're talking about a global axis shift that I think ties in Revelation uh, chapter 7, verse 1, where all of a sudden the wind stops blowing. Very interesting verse there. 
and then the wrath of the Lord of hosts and the day of his fierce anger. So that's in Isaiah 13. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 24. And again, intersprinkled with this are, are periods of hope of the kingdom that's coming. Isaiah 24, picking it up in verse 17. Fear in the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitants of the earth. And it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into a pit. And he who comes from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows from on high are opened, and the fountains of the earth are shaken. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard. We already know there's a a slight wobble taking place. Well, this is going to intensify. And shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it. And it will fall, and it will not rise again. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of the exalted ones, and on the earth the kings of the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and he will shut up the prison. And after many days they will be punished. Then the moon shall, will be disgraced, the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign, and here's, it changes now from, in this one verse, from the great tribulation period to the kingdom in verse 23. Then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign out of Mount Zion in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. So, you know, when, when they talk about you as you talk about prophecy, oh, you're nothing but doomers and gloomers and the end of the world. Oh, well, there's some pretty heavy days ahead. But I'm the last thing from doom and gloom. I'm going to be closing by talking about the glorious hope that the church has and our involvement in this kingdom that's coming. But the Lord's simply going to clean house before he establishes his kingdom. Let's go one more, a couple of pages to chapter 26. Um, picking it up in verse 19. This is an interesting one. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Now this interesting verse in 20. He says, come my people, enter your chambers. And shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment. Now consider this. He's telling a group of people to enter their chambers. I'm thinking, Jesus, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he says, but it's just going to be for a little moment. Until what? Until the indignation is past. This is another term for the great tribulation. And it's defined. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will also disclose her blood and no more cover her slain. But there's this group of people hanging in their chambers, only for a little while, seven-year period of time, and then we return with the Lord. It says, the Lord, I saw the Lord returning with 10,000s of his saints, not just angels, his saints. And I, I find this... Uh, these scriptures in Isaiah 26, very, very interesting. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah. I'm trying to do this in an order here, so we're in Jeremiah next. Jeremiah 30, beginning with verse one. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, thus speaks the Lord God of Israel. Write in a book for yourself at the words I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back my captivity, my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they will possess it. Now, these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with a child, So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins? 
like a woman in labor, and all of his faces has turned pale? Alas, for that great day, and there is none like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. There's so much doctrine and theology in this one verse. And uh, again, I'm gonna reiterate to be a little repetitive on this time of Jacob's trouble, because this is one of the terms for the seven-year period of time. It's Israel that we have in view. And then, even though um, they're gonna be greatly persecuted, it's also gonna be the time of Israel's greatest revival. But he shall be saved out of it. Even though it's Israel, the remnant the Lord is going to actually redeem. This is what Basra and Petra, and when Jesus says flee into the wilderness, they're gonna be supernaturally protected according to the book of Revelation chapter 12. Let's turn over to Daniel chapter nine. Just one verse, a very familiar one for us here at Calvary. Again, another title for the Great Tribulation is Daniel's 70th week. I want to go back and read that the prophecy in verse 24, again, is for your people. Not Gentiles, not the church. Your people and the, the city of Jerusalem in particular. That prophecy was given here. And basically, God says, I'm going to work with you for 490 years, and I'm going to accomplish everything that I want to. The clock stopped 2,000 years ago when uh, they, as a, a nation, like it says in John 1, verse 11, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. And he held them accountable in Luke 19 for not knowing the very day that he was to be there because Daniel 9 tells us the very day that he would be there. So the clock stopped. And we've been living the last 2,000 years in this period of time. That's called the age of grace, the church age. It has a beginning, it has an end. It began at Pentecost, it'll end with the rapture. And it says when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the rapture, it says then all Israel is gonna get saved. That's what, um, as you look at verse 27, the clock begins to tick here. And it says then he, that's a reference to the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one week, one seven-year period of time. And in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offerings, the Antichrist. On the wings of abomination shall one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. We'll come back to that because Jesus is going to point us back to this verse in Matthew 24. But we're still in the Old Testament, so... Uh, turn to the book of Joel, and in Joel chapter 3, let's pick it up in verse 9, Joel, another prophet, says, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come down. And here it says, beat your plowshares into swords, and your prune hooks into spears, let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. We're talking about the Battle of Armageddon here. For there I will sit to judge the surrounding nations. I will put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. And then the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will be shaken, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength for the children of Israel. This is where we get the song, my eyes have seen the coming of the, of, of the Lord. He has trampled out the vintage with his terrible swift sword. That's where this, the song comes from, these verses from, from the book of Joel. Moving on to the book of Haggai. 
which is just uh, uh, go past Zephaniah and Jonah, and uh, you'll run into Haggai, or Haggai, people pronounce it differently. Chapter 2, verse, just two verses here, verses 20 and 22. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and say, I will shake the heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride on them. The horses and the riders shall come, everyone down, everyone by the sword of his brother. But again, the shaking of the heavens and the earth. All right, interesting that the Lord would choose to end the Old Testament talking about the day of the Lord. But that's how it ends. Let's go to Malachi, if you're Italian. If you're not, you can call it Malachi. Chapter 4. How does the Old Testament end? You know, the Lord says, my people perish for lack of knowledge of my word. And we're living at such an important period of time. The religious leaders should be equipping the church of what's right around the corner. And indeed, the indictment that he had to the religious leaders of Jesus' time. He says, judgment is going to come because you did not know that this is your day. This is the day that Daniel talked about. And so it's interesting to me, if we're going to have just look at some verses from the Old Testament, that the end of the Old Testament ends talking about this future event. Malachi 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And when he turns, he will turn the hearts of the children uh, to their fathers and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This is a reference to the two witnesses that immediately appear after the rapture of the church. And Moses, I believe, is the other one, but Elijah, what does he do? Well, he's turning people's hearts around. From their ignorance of who the Messiah was, they're explaining that it was really Jesus, Yeshua, the one that they rejected so long ago. And so, interesting to me that the, the, this event called the Day of the Lord is sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. And by no means that I cover all of them. We just don't have the time. But this is how the Old Testament ends. For the next 400 years, between... Malachi and Matthew, we call them the 400 silent years because God didn't speak prophetically in this book, not until John the Baptist showed up. And when John the Baptist showed up, he is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he was there to proclaim, of course, the coming of the Lord. All right, that's what the Old Testament prophets have to say about it. Let's see what Jesus has to say about it. Matthew chapter 24 The disciples ask him straight out, what's it going to be like, Lord, in those days, the latter days? And it is here in Matthew 24, he talks about the wars and rumors of wars. We'll be looking at the four riders of the apocalypse in Revelation just a bit. But he talks about nation rising against nation. Another translation there could actually be ethnic group against ethnic group. Or you could say Sunni against Shiite. Or you could say um, fill in the blank with your different ethnic groups. And he basically says all these are the beginnings of sorrows. So we're not talking about the kingdom here. We're talking about a period of time that that we've read a lot about in the Old Testament. Um, Picking it up in verse 15 he refers now what we just read in Daniel. He points us back to Daniel. And he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, and one of the few places you're going to see parentheses in the Bible is right here. Whoever reads, let him understand. In other words, you need to be a serious Bible student 
and read all of it. And you read Daniel, okay, I see Daniel. Now Jesus is talking about Daniel, and he's pointing him back to that event. This event happens three and a half years into the Great Tribulation. The Antichrist, the first one revealed in Revelation 6-1, will bring wars, but he will also make a deal with Israel for the rebuilding of the temple. And in the middle of that seven-year covenant, by the way, there was a seven-year covenant made in Oslo that was called the Oslo Accord with the Arafat. I don't know if you remember that. They broke that one. Lasted all but a couple weeks of that. <laughs> but here, Jesus says it's going to happen again, and he's going to break it, the Antichrist. And in the book of Thessalonians, it says he goes, the Antichrist goes into the temple and proclaims that he's God. So the Jews can no longer be doing their sacrifice. Now, um, picking it up in verse 15, we'll read down to 22 because he talks about the great tribulation. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are on the housetop not come down or take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back for his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight may not be on the winter and on the Sabbath um, because you can't go anywhere on the Sabbath. Pray you're not in a hotel and you're not on a Shabbat elevator. Now, only your people that were just in Israel got that one <laughs> because when you're in an elevator on the Sabbath in Israel, it's work to push the button. So it stops automatically at every floor <laughs> so that you don't have to do the work. So pray that you're not stuck at an elevator in a hotel on that day. Why? Verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world, until this time no nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Jesus himself talks about the great tribulation. He gives explicit instructions to the Jewish people what to do when this event takes place. I want you to know there are many Messianic Jewish people in Israel. They get this. They understand it. Don't you think they're telling their friends about it? Of course they are. Are their friends believing it? For the most part, no. But those seeds are being sown, and God's word isn't going to return void. And I think the day after the rapture, there's going to be a whole lot of people going, huh, that's what they were talking about. And we see then that, um, as it says in Romans, then all Israel will be saved after these events. Well, that's what the Lord has to say about it. Now, um, let's go to Revelation 6 and find the, the terminology that is used there. And this is Revelation 6, verse 1, is the beginning between here and chapter 18 is the beginning of that seven-year period of time. It begins when Jesus opens the first scroll. He takes it out of the Father's hands. And this is what begins the great tribulation period. Let me say that again. Revelation 6, verse 1, when Jesus opens the first scroll, this begins the first 1,260 days that will lead up to the um, abomination of desolation. But if you look at verse 17, um, here is what this event is. And go back to the title that says God isn't fixing it. Well, this is where it begins. In verse 17 it says, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who will be able to stand? Who's wrath? Who's upset? This is the wrath of the Lamb. You don't think the Lord is upset and heartbroken and uh, as, as we see what's happening um, with ISIS now in our country, again, this is just the tip of the iceberg, what's happening here. And I'm, I know you're aware of that. I know nobody likes to talk about it. But those, that's the reality of the times that we live in. And um, as we look at the first 
uh, of these seals here. Uh, the book of Revelation is progressively leading towards more destruction until the Lord says, unless he directly intervenes, no man will be saved. It starts out slowly. And that, that's even a poor word to use. But let's look at the first four, what we call the writers of the, the apocalypse. And the first one, um, the lamb, that's Jesus. This is where the tribulation begins. He opens it up. And a white horse, and one who sat on it had a bow, and he went to conquer, and he went out conquering. This is a, a picture of the Antichrist. His goal is to um, be the world leader, which he will achieve for a three-and-a-half-year period of time. The second seal is then opened, and um, we have a, a horse that's red. He went out and to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, for there was given to him a great sword. That's the second seal. The third seal, as I heard a third living creature say, come and see, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on the pair had scales in his hands. And so now we have this one representing um, uh, the death, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarii and three quarts of barley for a denarii and do not harm the oil or the wine. So we have famine. And then the fourth seal. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice say, come and see. And I looked on a pale horse and the name on who sat on it was death and hell followed after him. Notice this, and power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with hunger and death by the beasts of the earth. I went online yesterday and I thought, I wonder how many a fourth of the earth would be if it was today. Yet they actually have a site that has a clock going. And the count as of yesterday was 7 billion 385 million 705,000 274, and then it was moving. Every second, two more people were being added. So if you would go on that site today, there's going to be more. Well, I did the math, and I thought, if that's the population of the earth, then how many people are actually involved in the first four seals of the Great Tribulation period? 1.8 billion people. Let that sink in. By the sword, by famine, and by death. That's at the end of the four seals. Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake. Now, at the end of my study today, I'm going to expose a documentary that's out there right now. And it's a full-on assault by uh, this movie that's called Left Behind or Led Astray. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. The pastor's name is Joe Schimmel. And... Um, He's, he's uh, what we call post-trib, and he has this documentary that lasts for four hours. And then there's those who have the mid-trib perspective on this, and um, then there's those who call themselves pre-wrath. Now, the pre-wrath group put the rapture of the church between the fifth and the sixth seal because they say, uh, it doesn't happen. We're taken out before the wrath of God. Gang, I find very little comfort in looking at 182 million people and having the beginning of the, of the tribulation begin between the fifth and the sixth seal for the rapture of the church to take place. To me, that isn't the blessed hope. The question is, what does the Bible teach on this particular issue? I want you to turn now, thirdly, the last part of our study, what does Paul teach the church concerning the day of the Lord and how to prepare for it? So let's go to 1 Thessalonians, and we're looking at chapter 4. Also, you want to mark um, Titus chapter 3. So 1 Thessalonians 4, very famous verses about the rapture. And again, there's always those who say, well, you know, rapture's, the, the word's not even in the Bible. 
Well, neither is the word Trinity. But I can prove the Trinity beginning with Genesis 1.1 and just begin with Genesis and show you the Trinity throughout the Bible. Let us, let us make man in our image. Um, in the beginning, God, it's not El, it's Elohim, it's in the plural. So the Trinity, yeah, it doesn't say in the beginning the Trinity, but the Trinity's clearly there. Paul says, I want to show you a mystery. Jesus is going to talk about the rapture, and I'll go back to that in just a little bit. But if it, for that argument that, well, the word rapture isn't there, no, it's progressively being revealed. Uh, Paul says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all die, but we'll, we'll, we will be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. And he's re- talking about God's plan um, and his love for his bride, the church. First Thessalonians 4, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Well, gang, I don't want you to be ignorant either. I think the church of all people right now should be the most equipped to explain what's going on in the world today. Good time for an amen. We need to be well-equipped. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now you gotta understand 14 clearly. Here it clearly says that when Jesus comes back, those who have died are coming back with him. And that will undo the confusion uh, with the wording in verse 16. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or have an advantage over. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will have risen first to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Um, the Latin Vulgate is rapturos. It's where we get our words. It's being snatched up. It's where we get our word rapture from. Together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Now this is different from the second coming. We go up to meet the Lord at the rapture. At the second coming, Jesus comes and puts his feet on the Mount of Olives. Completely different scenario. And we will always be with the Lord. The reason I'm reading this is because of verse 18 to make my case this morning. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. All right, now Paul's teaching on the day of the Lord, chapter five. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you. In men's prayer yesterday, we're in Ezekiel. And what Ezekiel is doing, chapter after chapter after chapter, is doing different signs. We went through two of the signs yesterday. And the signs were meant for one thing. And that is, I'm giving you the sign because judgment is coming. And that's what the whole book of Ezekiel is about. These different signs and then judgment comes. In the same way. But you yourselves perfectly know that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them And again, the interesting phraseology that we picked up from the Old Testament, like a woman in labor pains and there will be no escape. We read that at least three times in the Old Testament prophets. It'll be like a a man who's having labor pains. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. We should be well-equipped, understanding exactly what's coming down the line. You're sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the the night or darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope, hope and salvation. Verse nine, God has not appointed us to wrath. Revelation 6, verse 17 says the tribulation is the wrath of the Lamb. To the church of Philadelphia, a last day's church. Oh, it wasn't a mega church. They, they kept the word of God, and they didn't deny Jesus. And so what he promises the church of Philadelphia is I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial 
that's going to come upon the whole world. Well, how's he going to do that? Well, let's read on. God has not appointed us to this period of time, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, what? Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are doing. If we're not taken out of here until the fifth of the sixth seal, there's no way you're comforting me when I did the math and told you 182 million people are going to die after the Antichrist shows up on the scene, which is thoroughly consistent with Paul's teaching in 2 Thessalonians 2 when he gives the order. Antichrist is first revealed, and then the day of the Lord comes. Flip over to Titus. How am I doing on time? I think we can squeak it in. Titus chapter 2. Titus 2. Verse 11 through 15. Says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that we might, he might redeem us from lawless deeds and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. I am under the charge by the Lord himself to teach and exhort the blessed hope. And I'm guilty of a pastor if I don't do it. Here I'm exhorted to exhort you to say, yes, it's coming, but there, you're not appointed to wrath. You're, we are prey to what? to escape those things that are coming upon the earth. Well, did Jesus ever teach the rapture? Well, as a matter of fact, he did. Let's go back to Matthew 24. And the reason I'm saving this for last is I will at this point bring out Carol Matriciani in commenting on uh, this four-hour left behind or led astray and the reason that I'm even referring to it this morning, he's got 12 different points that takes him four hours. He basically is arguing that a guy named Darby in 1800s was the first one to talk about the rapture. And I go, how naive can this guy be? It's clearly portrayed, Jesus was the first one to teach on the rapture in Matthew 24. And you have any doubt of what I just said, I've set aside 50 DVDs this morning of Dave Hawking's teaching on Matthew 24 about the rapture and the church, and I challenge you, as a Berean, prove him wrong. Matthew 24, Jesus says, of that day and hour no one knows, verse 36, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. I can tell you when the second coming of Christ is. I can tell you when the first coming of Christ is. For first coming was April 6, 32 A.D., How do I know? Daniel 9 tells me. Well, how do I know the second coming? Well, Daniel 12. 1,290 days after the abomination of desolation is the second coming. I know the day. So what is this referring to? It can only refer to the rapture. It goes on to paint a picture as it was when the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Life is normal. We had a wedding at the church yesterday. And it's going to be that sort of a day when the Lord is going to say, okay, come on home. Because things have gotten to the point where everything is going to break loose. And then he says, and they did not know until the flood came and took them away. The argument here, um, for those who don't hold to the preacher view, is that those who are taken out are ones taken out in judgment. Uh, But you can't fool a a brilliant Greek scholar like David Hockey. And he settles it. And if you can prove him wrong, I'd, I'd like to sit down and have coffee with you over his study. 
they'll be available for free after this morning's message, along with this 22-page rebuttal by a guy named Paul Wilkinson, and I'll get to that in just a minute, but let's finish it here. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. You can't get a better picture of the rapture of the church than that. I like to say two will be working at Walmart. One will be taken, one will be left. We've got to be somewhat current and relevant with the times in which we live. Everybody's not in the fields anymore. Two will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. Watch therefore. And, and do you not know what, for you do not know what time your, your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come and you would have watched and not allowed your house to be broken into. Therefore, therefore be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. The great tribulation, everything we just talked about, is a time of such destruction and devastation. That's not what's being laid out here. This is life as normal. People are getting married on the weekends. It's not the middle of the tribulation period here. And so with that being said, in closing, I will make reference to the movie that's called Left Behind or Led Astray. Carol Matriciani, in commenting on it, is four and a half hours. She said she was bored to tears and the guy's scholarship is the worst she's ever seen. That was Carol's comment on it. The reason I'm even bringing it up is, number two, the pre-trib pastors are failing their flock. Well, I'm sorry that offends me personally. Okay? And then the last thing he said is that those who hold to the pre-trib rapture are occultic and demonic. And that pushed me over the edge. Okay? So, having said that, you can also have a copy of this. T.A. McMahon's been after me for three years to bring Paul Wilkerson to our prophecy conference. He wrote that thick of a rebuttal, point by point, discussing every argument that they have for a post-trib position. The Bible tells me I'm to exhort you and to equip you. And I want to do that practically this morning. You can get one of these as you go out, and you can get David Hawking's study on Matthew 24. And I challenge you to be brilliant, do your own homework. And uh, if you don't agree with me, it's all right, but I'll explain it to you as we're being raptured and take it up. Amen. Let's stand. We'll close in prayer. Thank you that these things are not shut up and sealed to us. You did tell Daniel to shut up these things until the time of the end. And then you said men would be traveling to and fro. You said none of the wicked would understand. But then you told us those who are wise will understand. Lord, the book of Daniel has been unsealed. The book of Revelation is exactly what it means, the revealing, the unsealing. And thank you, Lord, that you told us these things ahead of time, and we are grateful for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.